Why do we think it's strange when we have these problems? Well, I'm an on-fire Christian. I'm a godly person. I mean, Jesus is first. And he said, in me, you're going to have peace. But in this troubled world, it's going to be problems. But take hope. Because he said, I overcame this world. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's V-L-C-C-A-Z dot org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Before Pastor starts this this song, I know he's uh, anxious and willing to do that. But uh, we're going to do one, one more thing for Pastor's Appreciation Month. We've had a great time. We've had uh, wonderful weeks of, you know, showing pastors how much we care. And uh, this morning we want to do one more thing for pastors, uh, if you will allow us to do that. So, Jewel, if you'll come up with Pastor and Pastor Philemon and Jane and Pastor Ray and Bev, if you guys will come up here. Just, uh, I said come up. up. Up's okay. Come on up. It can change, right? Uh, one of the things we've done is we've thanked them for and, they're, and appreciated them for all that they've done. But there's one more thing we'd like to do is really show what the Lord has done uh, through our pastors. And we also have a little gift. So Miss Paula's going to start. If she'll come up here, then you're going to well, – that's all right. We're going to have you come up here. <laughs> Things change, remember? <laughs> Got to go with the flow. Yeah. Okay, well, I was only given three minutes, so I wrote down what I was going to say. <laughs> Hello? Am I on? Uh, I'm honored to share with you the godly example our Pastor Ray and Bev Henry have had on my life and that of my family. There are many stories I could tell, but I only have time to share one. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've been taking care of a baby with croup. <laughs> Pastor Ray and Bev came into my life and the life of my late husband, Stephen, 20-plus years ago. And due to complications with Steve's MS, Ray began mentoring my husband, a Jewish believer, once a week in our home. This resulted because of a men's Bible study. Ray came faithfully once a week. I hope I could do this okay. <clears throat> Ray came faithfully once a week and quickly became part of our family as well as a friend and a pastor. I met with Bev for coffee and encouragement once a week also. This continued to be faith they continued to be faithful in our weekly visits until Steve's last days, at which time <clears throat> he was bedridden. 
Many times, Steve couldn't say a word, but Ray was there as a friend, just sitting there in the room, sharing, praying, and sometimes just watching television with Steve. He was there as a friend and a pastor, and Bev was always present to hear any pain, emotional pain that I was going through. When Steve passed away that cold, late November night, almost five years ago, Ray and Bev were the first people we called after, of course, the children. Ray and Bev were by my side within minutes to comfort me, even though I knew they were hurting too at the loss of an amazing Christian friend. Pastor Ray and his beautiful wife, Beverly, have and continue to be a light in the darkness. I love and respect them so much. They are loyal, faithful, and are an amazing example of two people with a servant's heart, just like Christ. So we've asked uh, someone who um, we know has been close to and done lots of things for for pastors. There's so many people that have been uh, um, touched by our pastors, but uh, these are a few of uh, who we thought might be good good at doing this. All right, um, I'm speaking about Pastor Philemon, obviously. Um, I thought it was going to be a roast, so I was just going to have him sit here, and I'll just go after him. But <laughs> okay, so let me let me read some scriptures real quick. Hebrews thirteen seventeen, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Take advantage of our leaders. They are here for us. Rely on them. Um, Jeremiah 3.15 Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. So, when we were going to get married, we we were pushed by Pastor Tim, like, you guys got to get married. You guys got to get married. And so we we're like, okay, we'll do it because <laughs> we love each other. But you got to tell them why. Because you were already living together. Yeah, because we were already living together. And... Um, and we had been going to church, and we were like, let's do the right thing. We're going to get married. And our uh, our dating anniversary is coming up. And so we had two weeks to plan our wedding. <laughs> and uh, we wanted Pastor Tim to do it, but he was going out of town on vacation. And it was like the Lord just put Pastor Philemon in our lives. Amen. He was able to step in and do our wedding. And... It's like the Lord put him here to guide us. 
he has been able to help shape our family. There's There's been uh, times where I wanted to go into the offices to see Pastor Tim. And because we have some situations where we have a blended family and Pastor Tim had a blended family, but Pastor Tim wasn't available. And like once again, it was Pastor Philemon that was able to step in. So, so, um, so I, I went in to see Pastor, well, we went in to see Pastor Philemon. So the, the way of the fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. That's Proverbs twelve fifteen, And every time we see Pastor Philemon, it's wise advice. It's good. And his wife. And, and uh, there was this time I was going to um, see about getting my kids half the time. And I was ready. I was ready to go into the situation. And I was like, "I have this to say about this person, this to say about this person." And the pastor Philemon was like, "Carlos, Matthew ten sixteen. It says, "I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. As innocent as doves." And my heart went from being aggressive. To a peaceful resolution. And it worked out in my favor. So. There's there's also been. Situations where. Pastors had. Two days of like. Five hour. Meetings with us. Like we've been in the prayer room for. Five hours. Just talking about our family. Just seeking help. Seeking guidance. Rely on our pastors. They're here for us. And uh, that's it. Thank you, Pastor. I'm already crying. I'm talking about Pastor Tim and Jewel. Um, (laughs) So when I met Pastor Tim and Jewel, I was a mess. I was a big time mess. Um, Drug addict, alcoholic, definitely not living for Christ. I didn't even have Christ in my life. Um, I actually met them at my work, um, and within 20 minutes of knowing Pastor Tim, we were already praying, and he already had me crying and leading me to the Lord. I mean, it was it was fate. Um, once they invited me to church, I think it took maybe a couple months, but he was faithful. He called me, God, two, three times a week. So... Once I started coming to church, he's... Uh, to read because I'm they've both been such an inspiration in my walk with Christ 
I know with all my heart that all Tim and Jewel want out of life is to build God's kingdom, and that's exactly what they're doing. They've gotten me way, way, way out of my comfort zone to serve Christ. It started with ushering, and of course now on the worship team. My life was flipped upside down when these two amazing pastors came into my life. Um, they're like parents to me. I mean, they're my family. I love them with all my heart. Ugh. I think that's it for now. <laughs> so on behalf of Victorious Life, we just wanted to thank you guys. So... Uh... We were giving pastors some other gifts earlier, but this is a gift from everybody in the church, and we just thought it, uh, you'd appreciate uh, appreciate that, and we appreciate you, and we love you. I hope you've had a great month. Um, you deserve a great year, obviously, and a great time here. We love you guys so much, so let's stand, can we, and just show them our appreciation one more time. Thank you, pastors. Folks, these are the reason that all of this works around here. Let them know you really appreciate it. Would you please? A lot of times you hear the statement, I, I wanted to see Pastor Tim. I wanted to see Pastor Tim. I wanted to have Pastor Tim do that. Folks. It's not the guy behind the pulpit majority of the time. It's all these people behind the scenes. These are the ones that make it all work. So let him know one more time. From my wife, Pastor Philemon, his beautiful wife, Pastor Ray, his beautiful wife. Come on, tell him you appreciate him, would you please? Amen. You can dismiss your children. If you would, please, to Children's Church, and uh, we're going to worship God, so stand to your feet, would you?
Come on, give him praise in the house of God. Oh, praise God. You can be seated. You know, it's good. It is good to show honor where honor is due. And I, I, I could never begin to show the gratitude that I have for, for Pastor Jewel, my beautiful wife. Pastor Ray, his beautiful wife, Beverly. Pastor Philemon, his beautiful wife, Jane. Uh, we could not do what we do in this church without them. But all of us would concede that it goes further than that. It goes to the 60-some people that we have leading ministries in a church. Uh, it takes a lot to make church work. It takes all the way from the finances all the way to the people. And our leadership is, you know, yeah, the best. Thank you. They're just, they're incredible. So I, I want to quickly take you into this morning's message. We've been on a series titled All the Losers Win. And I want you to hear my heart this morning, just for a moment before I begin the sermon and get into your notes. I have one desire as a pastor. Folks, I have never desired to have a big church. But I've always desired to have big people. I just want to grow people. I want you, if the Lord takes me home and I and I leave this, this podium, I, that was a man of God. He led me in the things of God. Folks, my life would be complete. I just want to grow people. I'm so tired of shallow Christians. Folks, and I, I love everybody, please. But I had a conversation with Pastor Ray and Pastor Philemon and and my wife, and I said, guys, you don't want me counseling very many people. Because I just tell them, get on or get off. <laughs> you know, Folks, we don't have time to play patty cake. Jesus is coming, and he's only coming for those ready for him. And so I'm going to, I'm going to jump right in your stuff this morning, if that's okay. I have people all the time, without reservation, I use that term all the time, talk to me about their financial difficulties. Talk to me about their physical difficulties. Talk to me about their mental and emotional difficulties. And folks, without equivocation, there's one hope, and his name is Jesus. Oh, he can't take care of my finances. That's your first mistake. You think you're better than him. He's the only one that can take care of your finances. He's the only one that can take care of your mental issues. I know some of you say, well, I need a lot. Of <laughs> we, we won't go there. That's Pastor Ray's job. <laughs> my emotional, folks, you've got the one person who said, 
who the Son sets free is free. He's free. She's free. Peace is something you and I need most, almost more than anything else we need in life. There is so much stress in life, and anything that relieves that stress is welcome. Can I hear one amen? amen? Good, I got a few more. John 16, Jesus said, I've told you about these things, that in me you would have peace. Say that with me. In me you would have peace. Say it again. In me you would have peace. He didn't say in church you're going to have peace. In a group of Christians, you're going to have peace. He said, in me, you're going to have peace. I've had people come to church. Well, I'm looking for a great church. Great. Are you looking for God by chance? Are you looking for Jesus? Uh, folks, we've had people move away, and, and we've we got folks that come back all the time. And they say, Pastor, I just, we, just, we couldn't find a, a pastor like you. You know what I ask them? Why are you looking for a pastor like me? Amen. We couldn't find a church like Victorious Life. Why are you looking for a church like Victorious Life? You're supposed to be looking for Jesus. Amen. You're supposed to be looking for the place Jesus wants you to be. Amen. Sophia, good to see you. Folks, you're not looking for the greatest preacher in town. Hopefully I don't fall too far down the line, but okay. But you're looking for Jesus. Okay, preacher, come on. I got the drill. I know I'm looking for Jesus. Come on, come on. I got lunch waiting. Jesus said, in me. You're going to have peace. But in this world, you're going to have what? Much trouble. Why do we think it's strange when we have these problems? Well, I'm an on-fire Christian. I'm a godly person. I mean, Jesus is first. And he said, in me, you're going to have peace. But in this troubled world, it's going to be problems. But take hope. Because he said, I overcame this world. I have power over this world. You know what that literally means? In him, you have power over this world. So today's subject, ladies and gentlemen, most pastors shy away from. Even though it is the biggest stress and distress causer of life. So why shouldn't I talk about it? Okay, I know y'all have already looked at your notes. I'm getting in your stuff. I'm talking about your money. I got three people excited. The rest of you are getting nervous. And I bet he's going to take an offering at the end. I might. Why should we talk about it? Listen to me. Because money can literally affect whether you have a victorious life or not. Not because of Jesus, but because of the person sitting in your chair. Look at somebody and say, strap in, 
real quick. He's going to take us for a ride. Come on. Why is God interested in our money? It's not because he needs a church. Why is he interested? It's in your notes. Because we need it. And he knows it. He is interested in our money because we need it. And he knows the weight that its involvement or lack of involvement has on our lives. I just read John 16, 33. But John 15 and 16 is one letter. As is John 1 through the end, through 21. But 15 and 16 are the contextual part of this this particular passage. And he's talking about where we come to for peace. Where we come to for contentment. Where we come to for assurity and certainty. And in John 16, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to take care of you, to help you, to guide you, to comfort you. Can somebody say amen? Amen. I am going to send the Holy Spirit to take care of your life, to help your life. To lift your life. This is why the Lord spent so much time on the subject of money and possessions in scripture. I left it, you know, but I'm going to read through in just a second. He talked about finances from Matthew to Revelation More than he talked about any other subject in the New Testament. Jesus talked about it. Why? Because he knew we would need to know how to conquer our possessions lest they conquer us. Just like right now, there's a a ripple of uncomfortableness. I don't know if that's a word, but it works in my sermon. There's a ripple. Why? It's uncomfortable when the preacher talks about money, which is why most pastors won't. I've had pastors tell me, oh, I'll let the assistant pastor talk about that. I don't talk about it. I'll let some other pastor, I don't talk about it. I want everybody to like me. Well, folks, I don't really care if you like me. I do. I want you to love me. I want you to love me. I do care. But I care that you grow more than like this, that, or the other thing. This subject is where most preachers stop preaching. When they're doing their exegetical verse-by-verse breakdown, when they get into the subject of money, it's amazing they always turn into third-party preachers. They're talking about the third person, like we're not even there. And like Jesus isn't laying this down as a particular. But let me just share with you. I left in your notes on purpose, 36 parables Jesus preached. 36 
parables. 16 of them had to do with money. 16 of them had to do with money. 36, 16. Two more, it would have been half of the parables Jesus talked about was money. One out of every 10 New Testament verse from Matthew to Revelation 21, one out of 10 New Testament verse is dealing with the issue of finances, our attitude toward finances, where money sits in our life, where these resources apply to our lives. One out of every 10 verse. 272 verses there are in the entire New Testament on belief. 473 verses on faith. 714 verses on love. 371 on prayer. But listen to me, almost 2,162 verses about money that Jesus talked about. How many think the preacher should ought to talk about it a little bit more? Eight of you said amen. And Jesus laid it down. The only sermon that Jesus preached, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. You find it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Do you know what God put in the very middle of Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Verse 24. You know what verse 24 says? You can't serve two masters. You will love one and hate one. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise one. You can't serve God. That word money comes from a Greek word literally translated the world system. And when God's not first in your finances, you're serving the world system. Oh, that just went. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's what he's, you can't serve both. Either I am your source or I am not. Are we okay? You see, I'm talking about winners and losers. I'm talking about the fact that all the losers win. Those that decide to lose their dependence on the world system, on money. I'm not talking about to go burn your money. I'm not, I'm, folks, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about realize who is the one that provides. That word serve that you see on that screen is really the word subservience. Let me put it in very colorful language. You're a slave. You have no dominion over it. It has dominion over you. That's what subservience is. If you don't do what it says, it will make sure that it costs you. That's what subservience means. I've heard some say pastors, all that's all they talk about is money. Well, folks, I talk about lots of things, but everything I talk about pertains to living a victorious Christian life. 
And this issue is paramount. Money is something we use every single day. In one way or another, our entire survival depends on it. So it bears to ask, how can Jesus be Lord of all or at all if he's not Lord of all? How can we say Jesus is my Lord? How can we say that he is Lord of all? But not my money, God. It's mine. I worked hard for it. Oh, I know, God, you gave me the breath to get up this morning. Yeah, but I worked. I know you gave me the arms and the legs and the feet and everything to do it. I, yeah, but Lord, I, it, it uh. kind of sounds futile when you start arguing with God about it, don't you? He's the one that gives us the ability to gain wealth. How can he care about us and not care about something so exponentially tied to our very survival. Listen to me. Do you know what it says in the last days? If you don't happen to make the rapture, you're going to have to have a mark on your right hand or your forehead or you're dead. Pretty serious stuff God's talking about here, isn't it? You can't buy or sell. Well, I'll have lots of money. That's right. If you don't have the mark, you have nothing. You see, subservience, it does rule the one you choose to yield yourself to. How can he care about us? And not care about the thing that's so naturally tied to our survival, which in scripture says is the supreme test of our very relationship with God. Folks, are you okay, are, are you okay with this journey? You got those lap belts tight? Matthew 6.21. Where are we at? We're right back in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And look what he says. Where your treasure is. What you deem the most important, that's what's going to be your heart. Where your treasure. Oh, it could be lots of things. But the passage is talking about the world system. You can't serve them both. Right here is where I should have pulled in Bob, little Bob Dylan. You got to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the law. But you got to serve somebody. That sounded almost as good as Bob Dylan too, didn't it? How that guy became famous. Where your treasure is, the desires of your heart. Did you ever notice when you had money and when you have money, you want more? Now, folks, that's not a wrong thing. That's great. But why do you want more? Let's quickly go. I had some folks say, we need to get people out of church earlier. I told Pastor Philemon, I said, I'm going to take them to 
Kenyon, let us have church together over there. Let's see about getting out of church early. What do you think? I remember I, I, I go over and preach for Pastor Philemon over in Kenya, and I'd always tell him, what time service start? If it started at 11, I'd tell him, well, I want to be there for worship. So get me there about 12.15. Service started at 11. It really started at 10. But the worship will go till 2. And we get a little concerned about a 30-minute worship service. I know I'm exaggerating. It's not quite that long. But it's, folks, they have church. They don't go to church. They have church. I'm over there in Kenya, and I'm watching. Here, come help me, Pastor. Come help me. You talk about a board praising God. That's me in the middle of all those folks. It, it's incredible. But I'm going to try to get you out of here by one. Let's look real quick. Thank you. Yes, yes. Oh, man. Hensley, you have an effect. The attitude that surrounds our money. Third John, chapter 2. Third John. It's not your notes, so write it down. John... The beloved, who is responsible for the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. Do you know what you read when you start in John 1, all the way through to the end of Revelation? Do you know what John's central theme? Truth. Truth. You know what Jesus said? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And John preached it. You've got to be committed to the truth of God's plan and God's purpose for your life. He said to this friend of his, Gaius, he said, I will that you prosper and be in health just as your soul prospers. Just as your soul prosperous. Now I want you to look at those words right there. It's not by chance that the scripture uses those words. The soul is the faculty of knowing. It's the very root of your ambitions and your desires. Everything you would hope to attain. It has to do with your understanding and knowledge your commitment, which all derives from the truth of God's word. Can somebody say amen? As your soul prospers, the title of today's message, an attitude of life and living. When you look up the original Greek word, you know what the word soul means? All pertaining to life and living. Your ultimate desires. All of John's writing, truth is central. Our soul grows from truth. A prosperous soul knows the truth. It grows in truth. It walks in truth and it demonstrates truth. So if I am prosperous, like this scripture tells me, then you know what I'm doing? 
I know the truth. I grow in truth. I walk in truth. And I demonstrate truth by applying truth in my life. I will that you prosper and be in health even as your soul. I I love Samuel Clements. Some of you might not recognize the name. We know him by his book name, Mark Twain. And he said, it ain't the parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do. And so many of us can find so many that they can, you, you can go on your Google right now and you can find Eight out of ten, well, I better not give that big of a number. Seven out of ten people say, tithing isn't for today. Well, you know, it's not about, it, that's, that's the law. Well, I'm going to show you in a minute, the tithing is part of the law. And the, the law hasn't been done away with. Mm. Money has a controlling power. In our lives. Most think when they have money it's theirs. But the sad reality. Is when we get money. Does it not really have us? I want to look at how Jesus dealt with this. Who controls who? Remember? Almost 2200 verses of scripture. Specifically accredited to Jesus. Deals with finances. In the New Testament. In Mark 12, we find the story of the widow's mite. Now, did you ever get curious? Why was Jesus there watching them give? I can picture it's kind of like this. Jesus would stand there. Hey, guys, come over here. He called the 12 because the Bible says they were there too. And he's watching the people and they're giving. Said, hey, hey guys, pay attention, pay attention. See the Pharisees? Oh yeah, they give a lot. Those rich folk, man, they give a lot. But said, understand something. They don't really even give a tithe. They give out of their abundance. But pay attention. See that little old woman walking up there right now, that little old lady? See her? Lord. She gave two little mites. As small as they are, I can even see it from here. And Jesus said, yep. But she gave more than anybody. And then I love the way Jesus said it in Mark 12. He said, she gave her all. You know the biggest problem we have with money is we think it's ours. The biggest problem we have with anything is we think it's ours. My wife. That's my wife. Really? Isn't it God's gift to you? Paul commended one church in the Bible about their giving. And that was the church in Philippi, Macedonia. Over and over and over, we read about it. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Philippians, we read about it. But we pass right over the reason Paul commended them all the time. It was the same reason Jesus commended the widow woman. 
See what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. It's not in your notes, but write it down. You know what it says? Before they ever gave a dime, they first gave themselves. John Wesley said, the hardest part of a person gets saved is their wallet. That's why most people put it in their pocket and sit on it. So when the preacher takes the offering, pastors, we've got to have them stand up when we take the offering now. Or they'll give it to their wife and put it in the purse because nothing comes out of that purse without her permission. Mark 12. Let's look at Luke 16. The unjust steward. Look what Jesus told the unjust steward. He said, if you've not been faithful with your money, how can God trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful before God, remember, as your soul prospers, as you understand this commitment, this life, this dedication, as we understand the truth of who we're supposed to be in Christ, if you're not faithful with your money, how can God trust you with true riches? We're dealing with the attitude towards money. One more really quick. Matthew 19. I could have done many more, but we don't have time. Okay? The rich young ruler. He came to the Lord and said, Lord, what must I do to get saved? Oh, just pray this prayer and everything will be fine. We'll just go to church every week and everything will be fine. When the offering basket goes by, I mean, put something in there. God will see it and everything will be fine. Our, my wife who talks to the bookkeeping stewards every week said, you'd be surprised at how many empty envelopes are put in the offering. I wonder who we think we're... Fooling. I wonder if God might be looking. Just, just a thought. Listen to this. What did Jesus say? What must I do to be saved? Sell everything you have and follow me. Did Jesus? Now, well, that's not what he really meant. Okay, Lord, I'm going to change your word, okay? No. How many think Jesus said what he meant and meant what he said? Do you know what the problem was? It goes on to tell us he had great possessions. He went away sorrowful. Why? He didn't possess anything. He was possessed by everything. You see, you can't give your life to God until you give all to God. You've got to give all of yourself. Clearly, God is interested in our money. Even in mockery, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 19, it's in your notes. It says, wine is good for merriment and pleasurable. And then it says in the 19th verse, and money answers everything. 
Solomon's mocking the fact. He, he said, there was nothing that my eyes wanted that I withheld. And he said, I found it's all vanity. All that I have. And he still, on today's standards, would be the richest man that ever lived. Did I possess it? Did it possess me? Am I making sense this morning? This is why 1 Timothy gives us a very clear understanding. The root of all evil is when our money comes before anything else. When our possessions come. It doesn't say money is bad. And we go right back to that as your soul prospers. That word soul, once again, the Greek, those things you desire as your soul prospers. Are we prospering in God or prospering in ourselves? All of the evil in the world, folks, virtually without exception, can be traced directly or indirectly back to the love of money. And if that's true, and biblically it says it is, wouldn't it behoove us to deal with what we possess or possibly are possessed of? The defeat that surrounds our finances. Okay? Once again, 3 John 2, as our soul prospers. Understand this we must, folks. You've got to grab a hold of this reality. Everything about your being emulates from the soul. Your desires, your ambitions, all that you... And the defeat that surrounds our finances is the fact that not only God is interested in our finances, somebody else's. His name is Satan. That's why he wants to keep most in the situation they're currently in, thinking it's mine to do what I want to do with. His desire is to keep us under a curse, rather in bondage, being obsessed by something God says that we're supposed to possess and not be possessed. Now I'm going to take you into Malachi chapter 3. And we... We love to use this, you know, what a man robbed God. Folks, that's not the part of the verse that bothers me. It's that verse that says, you're under a curse. How does he say to get out of it? Well, pastor, can you tell us what it means? Yeah. Your, your resources are supposed to produce. They're supposed to produce. Remember I told you that John 15 and John 16 were linked together? Well, John 15 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will produce much fruit. And listen, that fruit will remain. Remember the the undercurrent of everything John wrote is about truth. 
He said, you want to break the curse? Bring all the tithe. Now, let me stop there. He didn't say mail them to your favorite charitable organization. Well, pastor, I, I, I mail my tithe to this organization. That's where I believe God's moving. Well, wonderful. Go to church over there. Folks, I didn't write it. I'm just preaching it. When I bring, my wife and I came to church this morning bringing our tithe with us. I can't drop my tithe in an envelope and mail it around the world. I don't care. Folks, it might be a very well-meaning organization. But it's not God's word. Bring. How much of the tithe? Well, Pastor, I, I, you know, I, I tithe 1%. Well, you give an offering of 1%. You don't tithe. The word tithe means 10%. Well, that's, that's not what I choose to do. Ding, 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 ding. That's the problem. You know the first word of idolatry? Man. What's idolatry mean? Anything that's more important than God in your life. And finances are idolatry to many people. Look what it says here. Bring all the time. Physically bring it and all of it into the storehouse. The storehouse is the local place you worship. It is the local place you participate in. That's the second issue, but that's a whole other sermon, your participation. Okay? That there might be food in my house. Not somebody else's house. The house that you come to feed in. What is that curse? When God cursed the earth in Adam and Eve's time, why did God do that? Because Adam and Eve chose to trust something more than God. They said, we can be God. Because they chose to believe a lie. Can someone say amen? Amen. And when our resources are not producing what they should, there's a curse we abide under. The way Satan does this is to get finances to negatively affect us instead of using it for what God intended, a benefit to build his kingdom. Our benefit has now become the devil's clutch of detriment to keep us in bondage. Haggai, I preached on this a few months ago. Out of Haggai chapter 1, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. This is a picture of the curse, ladies and gentlemen. Look what the word of God says. It says, you've planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're never full. You drink, but you're never full. Or you never have enough. You put warm, you put on clothes, but you're never warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with a hole in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways, what you do with what God said to do. Does anybody remember flypaper? Any of y'all remember flypaper? Maybe you still got some flypaper. I don't have any. I know they still sell it. But flypaper is an interesting uh, substance. It's a little curly thing that we hang from a ceiling. And on it is a sweet honey-like substance that the Flies are just nuts after. It's very sticky. 
The simple premise is the fly approaches and it hears from the flypaper. Work with me, folks. Animated flypaper. It hears from the flypaper, want the honey? Want the honey? And the fly says, oh, yeah, I want the honey. He lands, begins to eat, and he says, I got the honey. I got the honey. But then he tries to get away. And you can hear the fly paper whispering, I got the fly. I got the fly. Well, folks, the wrong attitude towards money, which is Satan's plan, works similar. People run around saying, I want the money. I got the money. But before they know it, the money whispers, I got them. This is why God is so interested that we have a right attitude towards the things we have. That things don't in turn wind up having us, including our money. You see, in reverse, this is why Satan is also interested in your money and your possessions. Why? He wants you possessed so he can keep you under that curse of bondage and never quite getting ahead, never quite overcoming, never quite getting to the next step. Why? I'm controlling it instead of letting God control it. And in reality, it's controlling me. Am I making any sense? This is how we remain under the curse. We take what belongs to God. Say this with me. Everything belongs to God. We take what belongs to God and try to make it ours. Is not that the same lie Satan got Adam and Eve to believe and ultimately defeated them? Same thing with us. Why can't I simply get ahead? Because you're owned by what you think you own. And you only do what you think you have to do. Well, God understands. No, he doesn't. Jesus died to set the captive free. How does all this happen, folks? Because not only God and Satan are interested in our money. One more person is, and that's us. See, there's really three votes in your life. God's, Satan's, and yours. And you know something? God's already always voting for you. Satan's always voting against you. Who breaks the tie? Who breaks the tie? And we do that by choosing God's way or the world's. You're going to serve somebody. No, I don't serve any. Oh, yes, you are. That attitude just shows a bigger fool. I don't serve any. Yeah, we're all serving somebody. We were going, as my wife and I were, were uh, going someplace and 
And we got in this conversation about giving in the church. I was working on this series, and it was at this part that I knew I was going to deal with this issue. And she said, honey, what is the statistics of church giving? And she was flabbergasted. National statistics of tithing people. Less than 3%. And that's, of course, including the ones that say they're tithing. Now, I'm grateful in our church because our church has matured and it's grown. What was our stats, honey? How much was ours? A little over 30% of our church ties. We'll say they do. Less than 3%. And that's total giving, church. That's total giving. It's called incomplete obedience. It's called not being truthful. Not applying truth to our lives. Obedience simply means I'm doing right before the Lord. And tithing is right before. So what do I mean doing right before the Lord? We don't give to God, church. We return to God what already is his. God expects us to be stewards over all of it. And he just requires that we return To him in this room, in this room, if I were to break it down in varying views, it would come out something like this. Number one, there would be those who would say, it's all mine. I've earned it. I deserve it. And I can do with it what I want to. When the plate goes by, I can give if I want to. I don't have to if I don't want to. If I feel led, I'll do what I want to do. What's the common denominator of that whole statement? The second one, folks, these three different views are right in this building right now, is the tithe is God's. And in obedience, I give 10%. And bless God, they better not ask me for anything else. I'm going to do what I want to with the rest. How many think either of those are correct? You see, the third view, it all belongs to God, the tithe and everything else. I return what he said, and then he entrusts me with the rest. Where the Bible says, I will give account of the stewardship. And he said, how can I trust you with true riches is if I can't trust you with your money? See, two of these people say, I'm the owner, but I'll share with God. First says, I'll share with God when I want to. The second share says, I'll share with God because I have to. The third says, I will share with God because it all belongs to him anyway. Let me wrap this up. You see, the scripture tells us in Third John 2, I will that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers.
What is the faith that's involved in you and my finances? God has made our faith in finances very specific if we want to operate under his blessings. If not, we find ourselves under the curse that Adam and Eve. Folks, I'm not saying you're going to hell. Now, folks, I know there's people that pull that. Well, will a man rob God? The Bible says no thief is going to heaven. So if you look at it literally, that's between you and God. Even when you leave here today, it's between you and God. Just so you don't get nervous, I'm not going to take a second offering. Oh, I thought about it. I thought about it. Let me take you all the way back to Adam and Eve. Genesis 3 says, To the man, he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed. Why? What's it say? Because of you. Because you chose to do what you knew was wrong. What my word tells you is wrong. The ground is cursed. Not because of the preacher. Not because because of you. All your life, look what it says here, will struggle to scratch a living. Tough to get ahead, is it? All your life will struggle. Tough to get your hands on it. All your just to scratch a living. Verse 13 says, Christ has rescued us, though, from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung upon the cross, he took upon himself, Galatians 3.13, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Because it's written, cursed is everyone that hangs upon a tree. There you go. I'm out of the curse. If you abide in me and I abide in you, I am the vine, you are the branches, you will produce much fruit and that fruit will remain. But if you don't, folks, it gets pretty tough there. He said, I'm going to cut those branches off and I'm going to throw them into the fire. Folks, this is tough stuff. But God said, but if you will abide in me, I'll make sure your fruit not only prospers, but remains as your soul prospers. You see, folks, even though Jesus fulfilled the law at Calvary, he didn't do away with it. It says very clearly, don't misunderstand why I've come. Where are we at? We're in the only sermon Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Don't misunderstand. Uh, Go ahead and put Matthew 5 up there. I'm getting a little heavy. That's my fault. Uh, You're doing great, Delandria. Don't misunderstand why I've come. Look what Jesus says. 
I did not come to abolish the law or the writings of the prophets. Oh, that's the Old Testament. Well, I'm thinking, let's see, this is Jesus talking. The only sermon he preached. Let's think we should revisit this a little bit. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law or the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And then look what he says. Remember? John, everything he wrote was about truth. His whole focus was truth. Jesus is saying, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Until that time, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until all of the purpose is fulfilled. There will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth until heaven and earth disappear. But it doesn't stop there. Go on. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called the least in the kingdom. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches others to do them will be called great in the kingdom. God's laws have not changed. The only place Jesus commended the Pharisees was their tithing. Only place. Matthew 23. He said, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees? Look what he says here. You're hypocrites. Oh, you carefully tithe even to the tiniest income from the herb of your gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. What did Jesus just say? Did he not call the tithe a law? Look who says. You ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, faith. And then he said, you should keep tithing. Don't stop. But don't ignore the rest. Folks, it's very simple. Oh, did I tell you this morning that I only have one objective, and that's to grow people. I want us to understand this book we have dedicated our lives to. This God that we serve, whose name is Jesus, not mammon. Don't neglect. What does God's word say? We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about provision and protection. God has to be first in every area. Sadly, too many Christians have chosen to be under a curse and commit financial suicide. Because they won't let go of the tithe and let God be fully in charge. What happens when God's fully in charge? Let's go back to Malachi. You tell God he's in charge of your finances by faith. In this, you return the tithe. 
you have re- literally invested in an eternal trust fund. And look what God says in Malachi now. Because you chose to do it my way, Malachi 3, I will rebuke the devourer for you. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a loser. I lost my trust for this world system. I I don't trust my finances. They'll fly away, just like Solomon said. The minute I put trust in him. You know how I trust? Jesus. He is my source. He is my provider. And he said, if I will trust him, I'll take care of the devil. Not a problem. It's done. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. As the worship team comes quickly, I pray, I pray that today, and please listen to me. Please listen to me. Why don't you look up here? Don't look at the worship team. Look here. Please. Don't take my word for anything I said today. Go look at scripture yourself. Guys, gals, I love you. I want you to prosper. I want you to succeed. By the word, that's what the word prosper means. As your soul prospers, as long as your desires, your ambitions, your objectives your thoughts, your intents are God-focused. He said, I'll make sure you prosper. That word prosper, physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially. Go look it up. God wants you to prosper. But it's not like the late night gurus, well, send me a $50 faith check and God will bless it. Well, God might bless your ignorance. Don't get offended at me, please. Because you're doing it. God, I, God, I want to do what's good. And God, this feels good, so I'm doing it. Well, God will bless that. But he ain't going to do what that guy's telling you. Send me a seed, Faith. Pastor Philemon and I were in Kenya doing a leadership conference several years ago. And one of the things that we spent a lot of time talking about but you can buy as many brooms as you want to from these preachers on TV. You're not going to sweep your problems out of your house. Isn't that what it was, Pastor? Send me this amount of money. I'll send you this broom. And God will use it to sweep the problems out of your house. What was another one? You could buy a rock. You could buy a rock. And I have prayed over this rock. Folks, it sounds funny. But this is how the devil keeps people in bondage. We're trusting what that preacher says, not what God's word says. Well, you know, just take that rock and you throw it and God will throw all your cares as far as the east is from the west. It's not quite what the Bible says. Holy soil. We spent an entire pastor's conference dealing with these things. Yes, all the way over in Kenya. The prosperity gospel keeps people in bondage. Ladies and gentlemen, 
God wants you to prosper. But the only way you can do it is with stewardship theology. You gotta do it His way, not yours. Yes, go find yourself a bunch of scriptures and say, well, you know, tithing isn't for today. Be blessed, be filled, be bound. But if you'll just make a decision, God, I'm going to put you first. And there might even be some here today say, okay, that's what I was waiting on God to tell me, just to be plain. How many think we couldn't get any more plain than today? And you say, well, I, I need to start tithing now. There'll be ushers that you can just walk up and hand it to them. And they'll get, make sure it gets in the offering. God said, do you want to be a winner? Lose the mindset that thinks it belongs to you. It belongs to him. God, this is our prayer today. Help us. God, the truth is, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, all the gold therein the silver. God, you own everything. God, when taxes were needed, you told Peter to go fishing. God, you said when the people were hungry, go outside and you can pick up manna from the ground. God, you said you supply all of our need according to your riches and glory, not according to Chase Bank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, but according to Bank of Heaven. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you. I want your eyes closed just for a moment. And I'm going to ask Heather to sing this song that we're playing. I don't want any other voices. I just want Heather alone. And I want you to make this prayer your prayer. Heather. Change my heart, oh God. true God let me commit Change to truth my heart, oh God. God if you change it may I be like I can be like you let's all join her this morning and sing that again would you change my heart oh Heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. May I be like you. Okay, listen to Heather only. Listen to what she says. You are the potter. He's the potter, church. We're the clay. I, I can't do anything in and of myself. To do it, mold me and make God mold me into the man, the woman you want me to be. This is what I pray. Okay, everybody, listen to me. Listen to me. Where we are, many times, 
I blame the pulpit for a lot of things. Because sadly, most Christians don't even open their Bibles. It's wrong. You need to read your own Bible. You need to be immersed in this. That's how you know the truth. How do you know what I preach is truth? Except you know the truth. Take your notes. You got them. I put them in all of the bulletins. Go study these things yourself. And say, God, I want to live in truth. I want to live in truth. I don't want to be under bondage. I don't want to be under a curse. Jesus took the curse. But he said, if you want to abide in that freedom, you have to abide in me. In his presence. To be in his presence means I'm doing it his way. Does that make sense this morning? God, mold me. Change me. Shape me. That's my prayer. They're going to begin to sing this again. I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Ray. I ask you, consider God's word. Consider where you are and where God wants you to be. Amen. And let's see God do some great things. Father, we thank you today. We praise you. God, all honor and glory, God, in the truth that is only found in you. God, we thank you. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harden. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.